0: I welcome you to episode 60 of Moving Matters. I am your host, Colin Wynn. I hope Moving Matters will give you an insight to others working or have worked in this wonderful industry as I delve into their past, their present, and their future. You will find a new episode of Moving Matters on the second and fourth Thursday of each month. In this episode, we discover that my guest stumbled into the industry back in 1996 as a 19-year-old summer student where six weeks turned into a 25-year career. We discuss his challenges, what he would change from his moving past, his high points, what changes he would make to the industry, the advice he would give starting out again, his predictions for the next five years, and what he does outside of the workplace. And as always, we end moving matters with a funny moving story, regarding an unexpected find inside a wardrobe. My guest this episode is Gerald Halsey, founder of Gerald Halsey Video Surveys. Enjoy! Good morning, Gerard. Welcome to Moving Matters. How are you this morning? Good morning, Colin. I'm great, thank you. What about yourself today? I'm very well, thank you. Very well. Can you tell everybody about yourself and the length of time within the industry? I
1: can. Well, I'm Gerard Howsey and uh, I've been in our industry since 1996, so over 25 years now. And um, yeah, I guess I fell into the industry as most people do. I was at college in the summer of 96 and my best pal, his father, was the finance director of a company called Interconnex, which had one satellite office in London, big company in the States and in the Far East. And off I went there to work as a summer student to simply uh, help out in a warehouse and uh, six weeks turned into a, a 25-year career, essentially. Wow. So that's how I stumbled into the industry. I think like most people that are in our game, they don't purposely set out to uh, pursue a career in our industry. It was just, can you help out? Yes, I can. And it just developed from there. What did you intend to be? It's a good question. I wanted to become many things, really. A pilot, a fireman. I was studying construction at college. So I guess the sort of career path chosen if you like was to become a site engineer right when you're mapping out buildings when they're being built yeah yeah so like a, a technical engineering kind of person yeah yeah
0: but during your break you clearly went into the removal industry and like most people that do exactly that they can't get out
1: correct correct well i was 19 at the time colin and when you're earning a reasonable wage for eight weeks in the summer period, and it's a lot of fun, and it's a good laugh. It's hard to kind of step away from that and go back to what it was that you were doing. So uh, six to eight weeks turned into four years at Interconnex, and they, you know I started off working in the warehouse, unloading containers, loading containers, packing lift vans for LCL shipments, packing air freight cases, sweeping the warehouse floors, just the general young guy in a warehouse just helping out really and um what happened next was rather interesting because the company at the time were developing new accounts booked business so they needed somebody to go out on the road and start doing surveys and i kind of like just stuck my hand up in the air and said well i can do that i think i've got good experience behind me but at that point i'd had a couple of years been in a warehouse as an export packer on the road which took me all over europe so that was a lot of fun, but it, that gave me a really good understanding of our business, and it really helped my skills in terms of verifying volume because I was working with volume every day of the week. Yeah. So they, they put a suit on me, would you believe? And, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and off I went doing in-home surveys for booked business, you know, um, as a naive 20-year-old. So they must have seen something in me and uh, trusted me to do that nicely. And yeah, it was great. I thoroughly enjoyed doing the uh, in-home surveys at that time.
0: Super stuff. Well, before we get on to what you do now, tell me a bit more about your career in the industry, those 25 years.
1: So I had the four wonderful years at Interconnects from 96 to 2000. was pretty much kind of devastated really when we learned that Interconnects was going to get merged with Interdean at the time yeah so we were all made redundant unfortunately and in 2001 i began what become a very colorful and flourishing career at crown relocations cool so i started there in 2001 as a residential sort of survey consultant and at that point colin i didn't really have any kind of sales experience i didn't have any experience in competitive situations in the home up until that point it had been booked corporate work where it's just like verification style work making sure that the volume was correct crates were measured properly making sure the move plan was going to go ahead according to spec but when i went to crown it was very much a competitiveness corporate competitive opportunity big migrant business where Customers are comparing you with three or four other movers to typical and traditional migrant destinations like Australia, New Zealand, South Africa. And, and that's where I really learned a lot about how to present, how to sell away from price, how to distinguish Crown from our competitors, to make it very difficult for a client to say no, even though there's a price objection. You know, and we were trained and taught by some very good people within the industry and I absolutely flourished. I loved it. I loved the, the feeling of I'm going into the home, I'm up against two or three others, and it's me who's going to come away with the acceptance form today or tomorrow or whenever the decision making timetable is. And that just gave me a huge buzz, you know. So I learned some kind of skills in, in sales. And then I had four or five years at Crown in London. The business was developing within the UK at the time. At that point, they'd only had offices, I think it was in London, Birmingham, Leeds, and maybe one in Scotland, I think it was. And there was so much inquiry coming from the southwest of the UK. In, in this pocket of the world, there's over 500 corporations that have their headquarters outside of the UK. And the demand for the private consumer from the southwest was enormous. And at the point, there was only the Birmingham office and the London office that could service that. And it's so far away that, you know, a lot of the time, Crown were uncompetitive in that corner of the world. So the company decided to stick a flag in Bristol, ordered the creation of a branch in the Southwest, and I was hauled into the office one day by Barry Coolin and said, we're going to invest in the Bristol area in the Southwest, and we've identified you as the person to go and run this new venture for us. Would you be interested? And I went away for a day and came back and said, yes, I would. I've always had a very yes, yes, I can attitude. You know, if there's an opportunity to be had, then I'll go for it and just see what happens. So I went and we set up home here. We had a very young family. My wife quit a job. We came over to Bristol. We settled uh, in a place called Portishead. Uh, We had a little office in Avermouth. And we quickly set about a plan of action to really take the southwest by storm. And that's exactly what we did for the next six years. We really put a flag on the map as far as that little operation was concerned. So, yeah, we went hunting for new business. We secured a lion's share of the market in the southwest. And I think we became a big irritant for our competitors that had been used to that sort of stranglehold up until that point.
0: So that's going from surveyor over to management side of it?
1: Yeah, correct. So uh, that role for Bristol was the branch manager and that also had the sales and the survey responsibilities added to it. So we set up a very slick internal process. There was myself and a move manager And the plan was for me to go out and do the survey, book the job, grow our sales. When we got acceptance forms through the post, we handed that over to our move manager who then took control of that move all the way until it was delivered at destination. So I was responsible for the file essentially until the acceptance form come in, then it was handed to somebody else to manage and I just kept going after the sales. And then we were very successful on that and suddenly a profit and loss report was created and now we had things to measure. You know, we had uh, goals to achieve, financial goals, quality goals, people goals. So yeah, each day and each week and each month as it went by, it just grew and grew and grew. And by the time I left there to carry on my career with Crown in Australia, we were knocking on the door of a, a million pound business with a really good percentage of profitability. So it was a very successful little branch. In fact, within a couple of years of that operation being opened, the Bristol branch had won the branch of the year award and the quality branch of the year award in the same year. And to break the stranglehold of the Leeds operation that were winning it year in, year out was quite some achievement. And to do both awards in the same year, a bit like the football club doing a double, if you like, it's pretty much unheard of. So it's fantastic. Absolutely amazing. So yeah, a very, a very happy chapter of my crown career was, was had in Bristol. Thoroughly enjoyed it.
0: So how did you find moving from a sales role to a management role? I bet it had some challenges. Uh, of course. Which we'll come on to later, obviously. But Of
1: course. It was very much a learning curve, but with good guidance from my area manager at the time, I quickly learned what needed to be done. And fortunately, I'm, I'm kind of... I don't know, am I unique or a bit strange maybe that for a salesperson I'm very <laughs> I'm extremely attentive to the details. And I've always believed that if you if you can't manage it, then you can't measure it. And if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. So I document everything. I can see, you know, I'm very good at working with KPIs very good at understanding numbers and what it means and the importance of getting your costings correct and making sure that the operating is correct so that whatever profitability is assigned to that job actually lands in the bank because often it changes, right, through variations in in moves. So, you know, of course, there was a big learning curve, but I embraced it enthusiastically. And the beauty about being placed into an operation from scratch... Day zero, there was no sales, there was no customers, there was no anything. I had the wonderful ability to make this my own and bring it to life in my own way with my own skills and my own ideas, rather than inheriting something that was already there. So bit of guidance, kind of personal characteristics, the fact that it was fresh and brand new from scratch. It, it, it was just uh, a wonderful set of ingredients to produce something you know, amazing and just to really see how this thing flourished was great there was there was no expectation of it really
0: but you were able to put your mark on it Correct. straight away from day one
1: absolutely absolutely
0: and you went to australia
1: i did indeed so in 2013 i got an email from the managing director of crown in australia a surprise email i think he was aware that i wanted to go at some point in my career because i would sort of just kept in touch with him from time to time I travelled through Australia on a couple of times in a previous life and saw how wonderful the place was. And it was appealing that Crown had offices around the major cities around the coast. And it was always in my mind, you know, one day, what, why can't I come here to work? And in 2013, I got my break. Wow. Which was quite unusual for the operations there at the time because the sort of state managers or the local branch managers, they, they rarely move. You literally get carted out on a box.
0: In a storage container. <laughs>
1: yeah, correct.
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: you know, the local managers and the branch managers have been in their positions for decades. So it was very unusual to see change, but um, they needed to make some changes within the Canberra branch in ACT, which is a capital, of course. And, um, you know, I was kind of well thought of in the, in the group because I turned a branch from zero to a million pound with really good profitability and great quality scores. And again, it was a case, well, why can't I replicate that into a different operation? So my wife and I, we thought about it. We had two young kids that were age seven and two. It was a good time for them to go before you know they really got into schooling and, and friendships. And I think the transition from Bristol to Australia was easier because we'd already made the transition from London to Bristol. So it wasn't like really leaving family and friends behind. We'd already made that journey to start with. It was just an extension of the first trip from london to bristol so yeah off we went it was a great experience to really feel like what it means for a a customer to be moving internationally to that point i'd had 15 years of experience in the industry or so but never really felt what it was like to move internationally because i'd never done it before so crew came in packed up our house loaded container shipped it off we were displaced for best part of eight to ten weeks i think it was without our stuff living out of bags in a in a temporary accommodation it was a thorough baptism of fire in in that respect of really feeling like what our clients go through or when people move internationally what they go through so that was a great experience to feel it firsthand
0: i hope you had a good deal
1: oh yeah i mean the company paid for the shipping the flights the insurance and whatnot so we were well taken care of on, on that front
0: So what were the major differences from working in the UK office to then an Australian office? Were there anything major that was differently in the industry out there?
1: Yeah, I mean, the operation there, it was kind of very much kind of diplomatic moving because we were in Canberra. That's where the job opportunity lay. So it's not like I had a a choice between Brisbane or Perth or Sydney. It was a position become available here take it or leave it kind of thing yeah so we took yeah. it because we never want to turn that opportunity down because i'd be kicking myself forever but the business there was very different to what i was used to you know it was lots of kind of diplomatic and embassy moving and i had been very much used to the private mrs smith moving from yeah, yeah bristol to sydney for a better life and more sunshine so the sort of moving dynamic was very different And most of it was within Australia as well, which is like essentially international moving. You know, when you're moving someone from Canberra to Perth, it's like moving somebody from Bristol to Dubai. It's just enormous scale. I guess the the other difference was that I inherited a poor performing operation that was loss making, not to the extent that I knew about actually. So there was a lot of work to be done and kind of when I compare it in hindsight, when you've got an operation that was a similar size as our Bristol operation in terms of its revenues, when you consider 15 fixed staff, loads of lorries out the front, a warehouse to run, forklifts, it wasn't surprising to me that it was a loss-making operation. The model had to change essentially. You either invest in someone and go out and hunt new business like rapidly and bring a lot of new business in to cover that fixed cost or you dissect the thing, pull it apart, and you turn that operation into a service partner model where you become literally like a move management branch. Yeah. Where you have service partners doing the packing. You get rid of warehouses, you get rid of what you strip out all the fixed costs to make you profitable again. So it was a challenging part of my life, if I'm honest with you. It was a it was a difficult chapter, but I'm glad I went, but even gladder to return back
0: to my homeland. So Your current position. Can you tell everyone about your company and the services that you offer?
1: Of course. So I set this business up in 2019. I'd been sort of working in this video survey front all the way back to 2016, actually, when it first come to market or on the shelf. I was invited back to Crown, actually, to uh, implement video surveying into the London operation. And I did that very successfully. And I was kind of a bit unsure about video surveying, if I'm honest with you, Colin. Six years ago, I was kind of like, is this a watered-down version? You know, are you going to be able to sell on preference? Are you going to be able to develop rapport? Or are you going to be able to operate the moves to spec? But at the time, again, I just gave it a go and thought, what have I got to lose? And within a very short amount of time, it'd been bedded into the business. I was the lead video surveyor for that period, the, the only one. And what that enabled me to do, Colin, was to compare my time at Crown as an in-home consultant and my time at Crown as a video survey consultant. So exactly the same company, doing exactly the same thing with the same people, all competitive stuff. And when I compared the results from in-home, I was converting 65% with an average markup of 25% on the move cost. And over six months of video surveying, I think it was like over 200 video surveys. So a, a smaller window of, of um, analysis, but nonetheless a meaty number of surveys done, converted at 85% with a 35% markup on the cost. I was able to analyze these two things and think there's something in this. Done properly, you can convert more and you can produce greater profitability and All at the same time, you'll just nosedive in your fixed costs in terms of company cars, fuel, having to drive out on the road. So that was the indicator to me that this works. There's something in this. So, cut. long story short, after a couple of spells at technology companies after the crown adoption, if you like, I decided to set my own business up because I felt that there was a much better way of doing things. You know, I'd experienced a bit of harm in my professional career over that time. And I was frankly tired of being kind of made redundant or jettisoned from the business because they can't afford me or they'd lost an account, so they have to restructure. I was just sick of not being in control of my own destiny, even though I was performing and doing great things. Yeah. So I just thought to myself, this is it. This is my moment now. I'm going to set myself up as an independent, completely independent and unbiased video survey company and I'm going to present my value and my service to the industry. And whoever would like to use me will use me. And whoever don't, won't. Yeah. So in year one, our company was was growing very nicely regardless. Traditional business development work, you know, knocking on doors, getting the opportunity, showcasing our work and our skills, building trust with new clients. And then, of course, COVID hit early 2020. And nobody saw that coming. And you could imagine what that did for our business. It, it, it just escalated literally overnight and just absolutely propelled us into the future at a very fast rate of knots i sometimes sit here and think i'm probably 10 years down the line in this business factoring in the covid effect if the covid effect did not happen i'd be in this position 10 years down the line so i was in the right place at the right time and fortunately for once in my working career over the recent years i was in a very fortunate position at the right time so then we just became an extremely valuable commodity to the industry. You know, we became very busy very quickly. Yeah. And now we've got a solid business base and we're performing fantastic video surveys on behalf of moving companies and relocation management companies, not just here in the UK, but in Europe, across literally across the whole world. You know, we've done video surveys now on behalf of our clients in 63 countries around the world, from the US to the Middle East to places like Taipei in Taiwan. You know, as long as the customer can download an app and have a healthy internet connection, we can be inside someone's home at the click of a few buttons right across the planet. So, um, yeah, it's been fantastic. It's been a terrific journey, a roller coaster, extremely colorful. It's had its amazing moments. It's had its low moments. It's had a little bit of everything in between. It's been outstanding. The best thing I've ever done, Colin, for sure.
0: There's nothing like having your own destiny in your own hands, though.
1: Yeah, correct. But that comes with other kind of challenges. You always feel like, well, what does tomorrow bring? What does the next week bring? What's life going to look like in six months' time? But, you know, you just have to trust your own ability. You have to trust the products that you have. You have to have faith in your clients that they're going to continue to use you. If there's one thing I've learned out of this, Colin, is if you can't control things, are you able to influence things? And if you're unable to influence things, how willing are you to let go of things? And the key to that kind of message that I replay in my mind in certain situations is the willingness, because if you can't control it and you can't influence it, then just let it go. Yeah. If you don't let it go, it's going to chew you up and burn you out. So I make a conscious decision that if I can't control things and I can't influence it, then I just move on to the next thing or the next person or the next company, whatever. But once upon a time, I would hang on to that and it would grate me and it would irk me and it would do me harm mentally. But I've learned to think and behave that way ever since I've had my own business, because there are things you can't control and there are things that you can't influence and people want to use you, they will.
0: Yep. So a couple of questions regarding your video surveys. First one. Sure. Is it software that you are selling or is it a service that you are providing?
1: It's a service that we are providing. So we're not a technology company. That's the first thing I'd like to make really clear, because I think some people see us as a technology company. We're not, we're not a technology company who employ people to do surveys. We're an industry-experienced company who do surveys, but we choose to use technology rather than driving 400 miles to knock on someone's door in the old-fashioned way. So, we're industry experienced people and we use a piece of fantastic technology that is our enabler that allows us to step into a client's home. And the only difference for me in our approach is that we're not knocking on anybody's door anymore. We're connecting with them by clicking buttons. But everything else that we ever did in the home is replicated as
0: we do on video surveys. So, if I was a removal company, Mm Do you do my video surveys for me or can I do the video surveys myself?
1: So we do the video surveys for you. Right, cool. So if you're a moving company, you outsource a video survey to us. I don't like to use that word, outsource, because it makes, it makes one sound like, I don't know, we have partnerships. You know, we, yeah. we, we feel like the sales extension of our clients yeah. When they book a video survey with us to do on their behalf, we become our client. So there's no mention of our organization as Gerard Howsey Video Surveys. We become our client. We've learned enough about our client to sell them in a competitive opportunity so that we do all we can to make sure our client wins the move. And it's not about price. It's about
0: preference. So you also have to get a load of history on the clients as well, I take it?
1: Correct. Absolutely. We, we go to great lengths to learn about their company, learn what they do, what they don't do, what their unique points of difference are, where they're located, just all the usual things that we should know about in the event that we're asked any questions. We don't just do a survey and put a list together and send it off for quoting. We're a wholesome extension of our clients so that the, the customer doesn't have any idea that it's been outsourced to a third-party company at all.
0: And my final question regarding mm. the video surveys, mm. something you mentioned right at the start of it, actually, rapport. Mm. How do you keep that rapport when it's over a video when compared to face-to-face? It's an interesting question,
1: and that's something that I needed to really think about when, when I originally came into the video survey piece The idea was to keep a video survey probably to around 30 minutes. One of the benefits of video survey is about speed and efficiency, right? Yeah. So the client would not have to spend as long with the surveyor on a video survey as they do with a surveyor in home. So the idea is about speed and efficiency. And I had to quickly think about, well, how do I condense 60, 75 minutes in home into a 30-minute video survey? And I knew that we had to do three things. One was rapport build at the beginning, like normal. Yeah. The second part was all about a very well-led and organized and well-structured walkthrough of the home to ensure that we capture everything that we need to be able to put an accurate price together and to operate it to spec. And the third point was all about you know, that warm kind of handover at the end, that warm conclusion of the appointment, setting expectations, creating some promises for the client as to what to expect tomorrow you know, or the next day when it comes to submitting the service proposal or the quotation. So I learned a lot from the early days at one of the technology companies that I worked for, where I had all access in the areas, if you like. And I was able to watch video surveys being done by moving companies right across the world. And I was always struck by the lack of warmth and empathy and rapport building. It was very much Question, answer, question, answer, question, answer. Completely unlike anything. Yeah, very static and very robotic. Very scripted and as well. Very scripted. And I think you have to have the right kind of personality as well to do yeah, this role. You know, I think you need to be confident with people in the opening three minutes for me, it's just about rapport building. It's about asking some intelligent questions. It's about smiling. It's about making the client feeling comfortable in your company. It's about not asking operational-based questions because you see the, the blood just draining from the client's face. It's about asking them why they're moving to Kuala Lumpur. What's taking you there? You know? Is it your work? Is it your husband's work? Is it you know, How long have you been in the UK for if they're not from the UK? It's just about engagement. Yeah. It's just making it a humanistic conversation before you lead into the sort of nuts and bolts of the survey where it becomes a bit more structured and a bit more, you know, leadership skills have to take place in terms of how you're going to go around your home and in what order and the questions and all the things that you're going to ask.
0: And making them feel warm and fuzzy.
1: Yeah, correct, Colin. And I think as well, as we journey around we're in a very blessed situation, right? We walk around someone's home, they've got a million objects inside it. You're always going to find something that connects you to the customer, be it a set of golf yeah. clubs or a football shirt or a piece of gym equipment, you know, if you're a gym person, et cetera. So yeah. there's always something that you can connect with a customer, have a little bit of banter, make them smile, have a crack and a joke as you go around. And often people get to the end and they come off and they feel fully engaged and what a nice experience that was. But you've got to have the right, you know, if you're dull and boring and you're not going to open up and have intelligent probing conversations with people, then it simply becomes script and robotic and question and answer, and here's a list and here's a volume. That's not very good. You know, you can't go into a home being like that, so why should you be that way on a video survey?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Okay. So what challenges have you had to overcome then, Gerard? What are your challenges since starting your video company?
1: Certainly the growth factor. The growth came thick and fast on a very sharp upturned hockey stick, if you like. And we quickly had to assemble a team. And that was challenging because yeah. I, won't, I won't have anybody working here at our company, Colin. They've got to meet certain criteria. They've got to be industry experienced. They've got to know how to estimate volume accurately because we live and die by accuracy, right? Yeah, yeah. They've got to have the right personality characteristics, upbeat and bubbly and confident, engaging, the reliability factor, somebody who's happy to work from home, someone who's happy not to go to the home to do surveys. So, so, so there's a number of things that I look for yeah. and that are required to even get through to like any kind of interview stage. So to find those people at that time was quite challenging, but we managed it. We managed to find some absolutely amazing people that work here, which was fantastic. As far as the industry is concerned, you know, it's a shame that we're afflicted by what happens in, in the world outside us. You know, I think the last three or four months have been particularly turbulent for everybody with, you know, I think we started to feel the ramifications of what's going on in, in Ukraine. And then we had a very turbulent spell with the increase in cost of living, electric, gas, food, all of our bills. We didn't even have a prime minister or we didn't know who the prime minister was going to be for five weeks. The fallout of the trust episode. So I think there's been a number of factors which creates volatility within our industry. You know, the backlog of COVID, of course, the ramifications that we feel out of that with global supply chain and things like that. I think as well, It's a shame that a lot of this is down to kind of price and lowballing and undercutting companies and putting them out of business. And it's very competitive and you tend to see more and more little companies coming to life and saturating the
0: marketplace. But isn't that because it's so easy to get into this industry? You just need a mate and a van and that's it. All of a sudden, I do removals. Exactly right. I think so. I think so.
1: Sometimes I think, you know, our industry is only so big and while it's a big industry and people are moving internationally, how many moving and relocation companies are there in our industry? Is there enough people for all of those companies? But clearly there are. Otherwise they wouldn't be doing what they're doing, right?
0: Exactly right. Exactly right. So if you could change anything from your moving past, what would it be? I think kind of looking back if
1: I'm brutally honest with myself I wish I had probably a a bit of a different mindset and approach to the move to Australia I kind of felt that because it had been successful once from London to Bristol it was a given that it was going to be successful again and I kind of took that a little bit for granted that I'd be able to replicate exactly what I've done And I've also learned that utopia only exists in the mind. (laughs) I thought Australia was going to be England with the sunshine, but it's not. It's very different. And if I'm kind of honest with myself, I think it was probably the wrong place to move to at the wrong time in my life, because I kind of feel that In hindsight, it should have happened a long time before, maybe when we didn't have kids and I didn't carry the guilt of pulling them out of school and placing them into a school where they were unhappy in Australia. I felt very guilty about that. So if I had my time again, I would be much more open-minded and just embrace whatever's going to come at me rather than going with a mindset of this is one way and we're probably never going to return again. Because when you think like that, it puts enormous pressure on things and... The small issues become big issues very quickly. Yeah. And when you've got a lot of those going on all at once, when you're in the wrong place and your kids are unhappy and the business isn't what you thought it was and there's a degree of homesickness thrown in yeah. and you don't really have any kind of local support, by the way, to kind of carry you through what is going to be a very difficult first year, two year, three years, it's hard to stay afloat in that situation. And it just came to the point where I've just had enough. I just want to go home. Right. And that was a shame because it was my dream to go there. I remember clearly standing at Sydney airport with my wife and my two children beside me and four bits of luggage. I had no home to come back to. I had no job to come back to. I had no car. All I had was, was equity in the bank from a house sale. And knowing that we got to get on a bus when we arrive at Heathrow and go and stay with my mother-in-law for two weeks until we find a temporary place to stay so very frightening but very brave because i kind of felt that you can either stay here unhappy forever or you make that change and you cut your losses and you go back and you rebuild i remember gulping at sydney airport thinking my god what have i done or what is it that i'm about to walk into but it needed to be done then we had to come home.
0: How long were you there for?
1: Uh, we were there for just about a year in total, which isn't a great deal of time in retrospect, but it was long enough for me to know that this wasn't right for me or my yeah. family and yeah. family members felt the same way. So we decided to, to
0: return. Family always comes first, Gerard.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't regret going at all. And it's a wonderful feeling when you repatriate back to your home and where you belong after an unhappy period account every day like a new day i i stand in my garden and feel like i'm at the truly at the center of the universe it's a it's a it's a wonderful feeling when you you know there's that old saying that a man travels the world to search what he's looking for only to return home to find it and it's so true in in many instances certainly true in my case anyway i'm delighted that i went it gave me a great experience i just maybe wish i had a different attitude going but it wasn't the right time, wasn't the right place. I didn't have the right support locally at the other end to help me through these challenges at all. So, a bit of a, a failed assignment in some ways, but a big learning curve from a life perspective in other
0: ways. Hmm. So, what is your high point of being within the industry? My um, high point, I think, there's two things. I never forget how
1: proud I felt or elated how I felt when uh, at the managers meeting in 2011 I think it was when uh, RMD Barry Cuden called me out after dinner at the award ceremony to be uh, handed the branch of the year and the quality branch of the year that was like I guess similar to Messi winning the World Cup if you like you know really at that time it was the it was the ultimate achievement and accolade within the business and to have led that and to have managed it and to got us over the line that small branch when we're fighting off the goliaths of the crown group like london and leeds who had been always winning branch of the year and quality branch of the year It, it, it was like a fantastic achievement so that for me was like the highlight of my career i think and also to be given the opportunity to go to australia as well was a real highlight of my career even though it didn't work out properly so those two things stand out definitely those individual accolades at Bristol and given a chance to relocate overseas, that's certainly the highlights of my career. And maybe now, you know, this whole venture with the video survey thing, that initial decision in March 2019 to say, I'm going alone. Who, yeah.
0: who knew at that point it would have led to this? Well, yeah. So, what one thing would you change within the moving industry? I think one
1: thing that I would maybe like to see. Our industry is very archaic. People have done the same things in the same way for a very long time, and people are resistant to change, for sure. And I think with the advancement in technology, and you can use our own business as an example, if you like, it would be nice to see people be more open-minded and not so resistant to change. And just to give something else a go, try something different. How you file that paperwork in an old filing cabinet is not necessarily the best way of storing that information. There might be a different way of doing things, which is quicker, easier, faster, cheaper.
0: But is it because the industry is so traditional?
1: Yes, completely right. I
0: should say the older folk in the industry are so traditional. The new blood coming through, completely different. They're breaking tradition right now.
1: Sure. But right now I still feel that the hardcore decision makers are yeah. still the people that have done things Absolutely. in the same way over the last thirty years. So yeah. if you're essentially resistant to change, I think you're going to get left behind. And I can use Definitely. like one or two examples. You know, I've been talking to a client for a long, long time and eventually they gave us a break simply because of sickness or a car broke down or something. I know we're the best thing since sliced bread. And it's like, well, yeah. why didn't you just give us that opportunity two years ago? Imagine how more efficient your business could have been two years ago and how much cost you could yeah. have saved yeah. and how quicker you could have got your survey reports and how more quickly you could have rung the client and said it's four grand. Are you happy with that? Thank you. Let's have your acceptance form back in. So I think decision makers need to be a little more open-minded to change and also be more communicative. There's people out here that want to add real value and know the difference that they can make to a company like ourselves. And we just want people to be communicative. If it's, yes, I'm interested, let me know and we can look at what you might be looking for. If it's no, tell me no and I'll never bother you again.
0: Yeah. So what advice would you give yourself just starting out in the industry again?
1: Um, Protect yourself as much as you can. Be prepared for change when you least expect it. Don't think that where you are now is where you're going to be for the rest of your life. Don't wrap yourself up in an invisible metal blanket with a padlock thinking that you're, that you're going to be okay. Because there are so many things that can change, that can worm its way to you and impact you in the least ways that you expect it at a time when you do not expect it. So just be really flexible. I remember reading something, and it goes along the lines, that if you're an oak tree and it's windy, you're going to get absolutely battered. It's going to hurt. But if you're a willow tree and it's windy, you're going to have fun. You're going to sway around. You're going to be flexible. <laughs> so, I like that. A flexible thinking, and you'll never grow mold. You'll be able to adapt
0: to change much better and protect yourself as much as possible. So where do you see yourself in the industry in the next five years? Let's stay with yourself. In the next five years,
1: I'd still very much hope that we're still leading video surveying within our industry. I want our business to be, it's perfectly fine for me as we are. We're doing a great job. We've got lots of clients. We're providing an outstanding service. We've got good sales. It's a very profitable. It allows me to enjoy a nice life and our team to have a nice life. But I don't just want to stop it here where we are. I want the rest of the industry to feel the value that we offer. And I want our company to be like a server footprint or a crown footprint. You know, we've got operations all over the world and we've got surveyors in China working for Chinese companies. I want this business to be spread around the moving industry, not just here in the UK doing surveys in all four corners of the planet, but I want us in all four corners of the planet. Yeah. So yeah, I just want us to continue leading the video survey front, which I think we do and we will, just on a bigger, grander scale. Not for my own personal rewards, but because I just want other people to feel the value that this can bring and the difference that it can make. So yeah, that's what I hope for, for our business in the next five years.
0: And industry-wise, do you see the industry changing much in the next five years?
1: I think there'll be more acquisitions. I think that more companies will be bought by other companies and added.
0: Why do you think that? Is it, again, because we're in a traditional industry? Is it the case of there may not be the sons and the daughters coming through and the owners are so. getting to that stage where, I think okay, so. I need to sell? I think so, I Colin. I want to take over.
1: Yeah, I think so. I, I kind of worry a little bit about where I was in 1996, where are those like, young and hungry and enthusiastic Youngsters that not necessarily are going to go into a career in the moving industry but like fall into it and enjoy it and learn a skill and learn and become passionate about it. I'm not sure there's many of them around anymore. There's lots of people that come into our industry in sort of reasonably senior levels that are from completely different industries that don't know anything about our industry and whilst yeah. whilst you might have a transferable skill set, they don't know a book carton from a wardrobe carton or. Why it would be important to have a crate around a, a nice painting. So I kind of worry about the new generation coming through, but I think it's also about market share as well, isn't it? Where people are unable to penetrate new markets or new locations. Yeah. You know, it's just okay, buy that company in that spot, and suddenly we've got a, a three million pound business that's added to our own business. Yeah. yeah. So I think more yeah. acquisition and certainly from a technology perspective we'll see more use of technology you know improvements in the environmental side of the business as well with like electric trucks recycled materials i think there'll be a huge or continue to be a big investment in cleaner energy reducing environmental impact
0: sustainability being S- the buzzword yeah, right now yeah yeah sustainability So what do you do outside of the industry to switch off?
1: Well, when I find the time to switch off. (laughs) (laughs) No, To be fair, we've got a really healthy, well, I personally have a very healthy work-life balance. I work hard during the week, doing 10-hour days, Monday to Friday, but it's very efficient. I'm not firefighting at all it's just really efficient so I feel good about my work I feel as energized at the end of the week as I do at the beginning of the week which is a healthy sign Um, but yeah I have loads of things going on outside I've got two youngsters that keep me fit and healthy I play a bit of football and we enjoy walking and we enjoy biking and I'm the linesman for my daughter's football club on a Saturday morning so that keeps me up and out in the fresh air you know I really enjoy spending time with obviously both of my kids, but particularly my eldest, my who's nearly seventeen now, so every now and again on a weekend we'll go and play a few frames of snooker and we'll have a beer and then we'll go for a sit down, curry, and then we'll walk home late at night just chatting and chatting and chatting. I learned so much about my son in those situations, rather than just flitting around the house and like ships in a night, you know, we try and spend real good quality time together.
0: Moments to cherish, because before Moments you know it, you'll be, be leaving home.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So yeah, lots going on outside. We're very social, very active, enjoy the outside. We live in a fabulous part of the world, so we've got a nice marina, and, and, and we're by the sea, and there's lots of green spaces, and you know you can hear the seagulls when the windows open. So uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice spot
0: to be outside for sure. Excellent. And finally, I'd like to end my podcast with a funny moving story (laughs) do you have one or more to tell Um, yeah i mean there is one situation that is
1: firmly stuck in my mind i don't think i'll ever be able to uh, recover from it but uh it was probably about 15 years ago or so and um i went down to see a customer and uh, we were walking around all the house. We were doing the downstairs and then we went upstairs and we were in, I think like the closet room. I think it was like a big sort of walk-in closet area with multiple sort of built in wardrobes. And I was just going through them one by one, you know, I'd ask the client, do you mind if I look inside yet, yeah, carry on. And she was in the next room, just tidying up. And um, I got to one cupboard and I opened it and I was surprised and humoured to see a skeleton just jangle out you know as i opened the door the legs kind of swung out and the arms swung out and uh, i kind of cackled and laughed and you know that's funny you know that kind of stalled me somewhat and she came running into the room laughing and uh, i said oh so what's the skeleton made of is it rubber or plastic and she said oh no no no, no, no nothing like that it's actually uh, it's bone and i laughed and she laughed we both stopped laughing And then I realized that she was actually being very deadly serious. And um, this like shudder ran down my spine and all my hair stood up. (coughs) She she then said, I'm actually, I owe you an apology. I'm really, really sorry. It's in there because I never think about it. But I'm a retired leukemia specialist who worked in some fancy hospital in london and the deceased had allowed herself to be kept for research purposes and she just happened to keep her in this one wardrobe and uh, oh yeah my it, it, it was a real skeleton and it was a real person once upon a time and uh, yeah it was, at least it uh, wasn't husband. no 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 it <laughs> wasn't but that's one uh, that's one thing that i've seen that i probably will never ever see again to see a real human skeleton hanging up in a wardrobe was quite something Oh, my
0: God. I'd have ran out of there. (laughs) I'd have gone. (laughs) Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You must see an awful lot of things like that when you're out doing surveys.
1: Oh, well, you know, that's one of the very interesting things about what we do, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. not, Not to mention, not just to mention working with people every day and we see different personalities and, you know, what they look like and how they sound and how they behave and all the rest of it. I'm really into all of that stuff, which is why I really enjoy what I do. But, you know, we see some wonderful things, you know, I've done surveys with Premier League footballers and we see their trophy cabinet. I can't name any because I had to sign NDAs and and what have you, but
0: clearly not moved anyone from Tottenham then. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: uh, and you know you, you're walking around it, you know you're in the hand of a premier league footballer here showing the trophy cabinet and there's premier leagues and european cups and fa cups wow. and league cups and
0: you know it's fabulous
1: properties that we get to see and yeah you know you see all sorts of things i've seen petrol lawnmowers underneath people's beds in a high-rise skyscraper i mean why is that there oh, it just is yeah all, uh, <laughs> there's all sorts of things isn't there? you see lots Very of different, different. things <laughs>
0: Well, Gerard, thank you for giving out your time this morning to record an episode of Moving Matters with me. I truly appreciate it.
1: Oh, that's okay, Colin. Thank you very much for the invitation. Thanks for calling me out. I've enjoyed talking with you.
0: Thank you very much. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you around. I sincerely hope you enjoyed episode 60 of Moving Matters. Please rate, review and subscribe in your favourite podcast player of choice. And please tell your industry colleagues about Moving Matters. My thanks and appreciation go to Gerard Halsey of Gerard Halsey Video Surveys for giving up his time to record this episode. Thank you again, Gerard. If you would like to know more about Gerard Halsey Video Surveys and the services they provide, then you will find links within the show notes for this episode and on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. And please, if you have a funny moving story that can be relayed to our listeners or you would like to be a guest on the podcast, then do reach out to me by completing the contact form on our webpage, movingmatterspodcast.co.uk. Well, that is all from me, so until next time, keep moving.